Welcome to the Duck Pin Podcast with your host, Brian Griffiths. And now, here's Brian. On this week's episode of the Duck Pin Podcast, I am happy to be joined by a longtime good friend of mine. He is the executive director of the Escanaba, Michigan Downtown Development Authority, my good friend, Scott Sazak. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Brian, and uh, great to be here on the Duck Pin. It is uh, great to have you. We're going to talk a little bit about... Um, Escanaba, Michigan here in a few minutes, the third largest city in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, but you roll in as, in as the executive director. You're not a native of the of the UP. So tell folks a little bit uh, about your background and how you wound up in Escanaba. Well, background, uh, I've been involved in uh, conservative Republican politics and stuff since college. I was a college Republican. And then after that, I was a young Republican, which is how I stumbled upon you and how you and I have maintained our friendship that and, you know, complaining about wrestling for the last, uh, what is it, God, even, I don't even want to know how long it's been. I don't want to admit we're both that old. Um, uh, in, the, in the meantime of that, I have uh, served as a congressional staffer and as a state legislative staffer in Michigan. Um, after running for office unsuccessfully, uh, started poking around and decided I wanted a little bit of a change in my life after I had some personal stuff go on and wanted to change the scenery and a little bit of an adventure. Uh, saw an opening up here, applied for it. Ironically, got it in the middle of a pandemic, which is a perfect time to move to a new area, especially a rural area, is in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, I've been doing this about six months now. I've been thoroughly enjoying myself. I'm not buried as much in snow as I thought it would be, but apparently I read today that it's one of the least snowy uh, winters in uh, since recording began here in the UP back in the 60s. So I think I must have brought some sort of uh, southern michigan uh global warming with me or something <laughs> we'll we'll make sure not to tell the papers about that one um, so talk about that a little bit you moved you know you you moved from from southeastern michigan up to the up mm-hmm. you've left behind um kind of the more political world for you know a more business development type environment what was it like you know you mentioned moving during the middle of the pandemic what was it like just picking up and moving several hours north to a different different part of Michigan that you may not have been otherwise familiar with? Well, like I said, I mean, you get to a point in your life and you, you know, you've been doing the same thing. You've been doing the same thing. And, you know, I, you know, a lot of the pol- political partisan stuff, you know, not, and I, you know, I don't want to get too much into it, at least off the bat, but I had kind of gotten tired a little bit of the level of vitriol involved in it. You know, I, you know, I'm a partisan Republican. I have been since I understood the difference between a Republican and a Democrat. I still consider myself a conservative Republican to this day, notwithstanding any other extracurricular nonsense. However, I refuse to see people who disagree with me even slightly or too majorly as agents of Satan. You know, when I was in the legislature, you know, one of my best friends to go hang out with at some of the legislative events was a was a Democrat staffer from the southern part of Macomb County because we have to go from Macomb and we jokingly called ourselves a bipartisan beer caucus because, you know, we just, we were there to have fun. And yeah, we disagreed on things and, you know, but I didn't consider him to be an evil person. You know, I was in the, I worked in the legislature around the same time. I think I just missed the overlap of when Rashida Tlaib left. You know, so I don't remember thinking of her in terms of how her reputation has gained nationwide. But of course, when you get into the national level, you play into some of that stuff. But so after I lost the race for state representative, I didn't want to run back to Lansing and be a staffer again. It just I didn't see it as my future. I didn't see as where I wanted to go. So I started looking more for administrative style positions wherever they could be. And, you know, because I do have the the MPA. So I am trained in local government management. And this position became available and I applied for it and actually got delayed a few months because of the COVID shutdowns. And what appealed to me about it is it was nothing like I had ever done, but it involves a lot of the same skill set in terms of management, in terms of development, in terms of relationship building, in terms of getting out there and working with the community. It's a lot of the same skill set just applied differently. And that kind of appealed to me. And I will admit the distance and the adventure of being able to just pick up and go somewhere when I had tied myself either be to family or other things like, you know, obligating myself to say, oh, no, you can't go anywhere. You can't leave. You can't, like, it's why I never ran off to D.C., that and the cost of living in D.C., you know. And I said, OK, you know, it's still Michigan, but it's a different part of Michigan. It's very much more rural. You know, I 
you know, the house I bought up here sits on an acre and a half of land. I've never had, you know, I've grown up in subdivisions. So just having that, you know, that land and having to, you know, just having that space and, you know, I'm technically in a more rural area, but I'm five minutes from downtown. So I can, you know, I'm five minutes from my office, seven minutes from the grocery store, but I still, you know, live on a main road where I get one car driving past every 20 minutes at night. So it's really, it kind of gives me the best of both worlds of what I've been looking for. It's not, it's rural, but not too rural. And it's, you know, so I, a lot of things came together. The money was right. And even if it doesn't work out long-term, because you never know what's going to happen long-term. I've learned that lesson the hard way a few times. The experience was worth it. And at some point you need to, in your life, you need to take the chance because that, it, not to get too personal too quick, but you know, I took this opportunity about a year and a half after I lost my father and he passed away at the age of 64, which, you know, when I, at the time I had just turned 37, he actually died a day before my 37th birthday. So when that hit me that, you know, if I'm on, you know, if I have his genetics tied in with his parents who passed at 68 and 72, I'm like, Scott, you're maybe more than halfway home here. So you can't hold yourself back. If you want to do something, if you want to have the experience, if you want to have the adventure, go for it because you only get one turnaround. And I think that, I think losing my dad kind of gave me the kick in the pants. I needed to say, you know what, if you want to do this, you got to do it. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. I think a lot of us could, uh, could, could definitely, you know, definitely follow when taking those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about Escanaba. Like I said earlier, it's the third largest city on the UP of Michigan. So tell, just tell folks, you know, I, I'm sure most of our listeners, most of our viewers are not familiar with Escanaba. I never heard of it until you got this job. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the city. Uh, the one thing I should say first is if you have seen the Jeff Daniels movie, Escanaba in the Moonlight, it is nothing like that. Although they did film a little bit down here. I haven't watched it though. I, so I don't know if they actually filmed my office in it. Um, yes, it is the third largest city in the UP. However, our total population here in the city is around 12,000 people. So it's still a very small city compared to, you know, where I came from. You know, I came from, you know, in Macomb County, we have a township that has almost 100,000 people in it. You know, I, you know, the city down the street has 150,000, you know, so it's still very, you know, I think the biggest city is Marquette, which I think, God, I don't even know how much Marquette has, but it's less than 50,000 at that. So it's a very, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it is kind of like an unexplored, frontier in a way in that it's a lot of forest a lot of uh, protected forest up here um like i said if, I, if you could see out my back window here you know i have on part of my land here i have a bunch of trees and it's you know i've had deer walk past my uh my uh window here i've told my uncle if he ever wants to come up here and hunt he can just sit on the deck um but it, you know it's it's an old mining town it's an old port mining town you know when they had the mines out in uh in timber you know, I'll, you know, because we have Iron Wood, Iron River, and Iron Mountain. If you go, you know, one way away from here, down 41, you go to Iron, Iron Mountain, then Iron Wood, then Iron River. It's, you know, that was the thing back in the day. And we had the, you know, the, the trees and the, and the forest were cut down for industrialization. They could come through Escanaba because this is before they built the Sulox. So it was a lot harder to get from Superior into Huron and Michigan. But if you came through Escanaba, you get right on uh, Lake Michigan. You can go down to Chicago. You can go down around to Detroit and through the Erie Canal. You can make it all the way out to uh, New York because it's a straight shot until you get to uh, Niagara Falls. And I'm not sure when the, when the bypass of that, but I, I'm not sure you live out there more. You may know. I, I'm not sure if uh, the Erie Canal dumps into Lake Erie or into Lake Ontario. No, it do, It dumps into Lake Ontario. I no. Well, because calling it the Erie Canal makes yeah. sense. Now, it, was, it dumped Erie, in Erie but I think it's yeah. named after the city, not the lake. Well, it doesn't go but, to the city of Erie. Yeah. You know, the Welland Canal has been around. That's the one you're thinking of that it bypasses Niagara Falls. That's yes. been around for, for quite a while, too. I don't, yeah. I, think, I don't think it's quite as old as the Erie Canal, but it's been been around yeah. for a while. But I'm just saying, I mean, the, the port was still active up until, I believe, I think 2017 is when they finally, is when the port finally said, yeah, we don't have enough to really justify being opening because of the improvements in travel. Uh, through the Sulocks and through the overland routes. And now we finally, after years of only having one Sulock open because the increased uh, size in ships are finally, gonna, they finally appropriated the money in Washington to retrofit it, to expand the locks. So we can have more than one operating lock for the modern size ships. So, you know, so, I mean, it's a town that, you know, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot like a lot of towns out here in the Midwest where it used to have one thing and we're trying to figure out what our transition is. And, 
one of the things we're looking at a lot is we have a lot of tourism because you know we're right on lake michigan we have a beautiful hundred acre plus park right on the lake up here the winter sports are fantastic i've been told i'm not the biggest cold weather outdoor person i prefer my summer outdoor activities but you know there's snowmobile i've seen snowmobile tracks alongside the road sometimes driving around so a lot of great trails the ice fishing i've seen pictures of people ice fishing and what they pull out of that lake makes me very much looking forward to going out on a boat in the summer when i can sit there in warmer temperatures but i may even want to try ice fishing i've seen some of the size of the walleye they're pulling out of a uh, little bait and nook out here so you know one of the things we're working on in my position uh, we're building a new hotel right on the uh, lakefront out here and we're hoping that'll spurn some additional development on the lakefront it's one of the things uh, residents of our community have said that they want is they want to see further lakefront development so you know increase those tourist dollars you know on the other side of the state, Traverse City is one of the biggest tourist attractions for people in the summer who are coming from the Detroit and Lansing and Grand Rapids area. I see no reason why Escanaba can't be that kind of town for people coming from Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Well, let's talk about um, talk about the, the downtown development authority. Um, you know, kind of your your position. You mentioned already talking about what residents want as it relates to some of the development downtown with the hotel along the waterfront. Um, kind of what are, what is the scope? of your position obviously when you're talking about downtown development you know that that sounds like a very narrow um you know part of the city but just kind of go over like what some of your duties are kind of who your who you report to and 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 kind of what your what your average day looks like in trying to help grow escanaba's downtown area well uh downtown development authorities in michigan are the actual size of the of the jurisdiction zone is set by the city when they create it mine is one block north and one block south of our main strip of downtown, which is called Ludington Street. And I believe it goes for 27 blocks. So it's, you know, two blocks wide, 27 uh, long. It includes uh, the Ludington Park on on the bay. I don't administer it, but there's jurisdictional reasons why it's in my zone. So even though I'm not the direct administrator, that's the Parks and Rec Department. Um, the average day for me, it really does depend. Like right now we're doing budgets. And as anyone who's ever does a budget, know that's a lot of stuff I thought I did. I went into political and government not to do, which is math. Um, in fact, we're having a work session for my, uh, you who I answer to my, uh, board of, I have a board that I answer to. Uh, they're the ones who hired me. It's, um, nine people, including, uh, let's see, two representatives from the city, our mayor and our city manager, uh, one resident representative, and then the rest are local business owners within the district. Average day for me, um, as with most things in government, there is no average. Uh, some days are more busy than others, especially in the pandemic. You know, today was a big day and we finally got our restaurants open at 25% capacity, which I'm not going to get in right now to the politics of what if 25% is adequate or not, or the reason for shutdowns and everything else. But it's a very big day and, you know, trying to get people back out into our restaurants. Our restaurants had been closed for 75 days. And that's a long time for people who, you know, operate on a very thin margin. Restaurants are a very thin margin business. So seeing them back open was good. I even went out to a restaurant today myself to show my support and had a hamburger myself at one of our local pubs. Um, so like I said, it depends on if also with a project, like we're, we have a, a pavilion downtown, uh, which is, which is where we have our farmer's market right now. We're revitalizing the kitchen so that if, you know, we're turning it into a professional kitchen where, People can use it for catering if they want to have events there, but also it can serve as an incubator for anyone who wants to work in the restaurant business. They want to practice skills. We are considering partnering with the local community college in their culinary arts department if they want to use it for any sort of instruction because it's a large commercial kitchen. So anything we can do to help, you know, develop business in the downtown, it's what we're working on, whether it be, you know, sometimes, you know, some things in the future we're looking into are, you know, are we going to acquire certain properties or, you know, work on improving our parking here in downtown? Um, part, a lot of the thing that's going to go on is going to see after, where we stand after the pandemic finally ends, because a lot of our businesses are hanging on and, you know, they're making do, but how many are going to completely survive all this and what's that going to look like? And how is that going to change people's shopping habits? Because my biggest fear working for an authority, which is, you know, responsible for development of businesses in a downtown area is people are going to get way too used to Amazon. In fact, um, when I did our Christmas tree lighting, I got interviewed by the local TV station and the the line I used was, 
encourage people to come shop downtown the Christmas season because the people down here, your neighbors need your money. Jeff Bezos doesn't. Yeah. So what, you mentioned that talking about, you know, the, the businesses and, and what what the future is going to look like for these businesses. Do you kind of have a ballpark estimate how many businesses uh, the city has lost since the start of the pandemic? I don't off the top of my head because I don't, because I, I think there's some statistics about the, uh, the whole city, but I haven't really, we haven't done a survey of our downtown in a while. Like we've had a, we had one that moved into our downtown, but hasn't opened yet. We're not sure if they're going to, we had a one that's, you know, has, we, we think is not going to reopen. There's one that's moved into a smaller space and that's how, that's how she's uh, surviving. There's some who have said, you know, we need to get something back. Otherwise we're going to have to turn it. So it's, I had one business owner tell me that the unemployment extensions that was passed at the beginning of this is the only reason she was still in business. There's a lot of people who are hanging on, but that also is kind of the UP mentality. There's a phrase I've heard a lot since I moved up here called "uper strong. And one of the things I've been told through various conversations is the UP is kind of used to hardship in a certain way, because, you know, it's a lot of when you were mining and, you know, when you're mining an ore and you're a port town and you have the harsh weather, sometimes like you're used to that, you're used to that grit and that need to, you know, do what you need to do to get by and survive. So I'm very, I will be curious to see who, who's able to make, make it through, especially, like I said, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with this. We hope the vaccine improves things. You know, I was even telling my board chair the other day is like, I want to start planning events to try and encourage people to come downtown, but I don't, I can't plan for anything in a week from now, let alone a month or two months or three months from now. So, you know, we have some things going on, you know, we have the, in July, we're supposed to have a Harley Davidson uh, rally, some kind here. Uh, We have the UP state fair takes place here in the, at the end of summer, early fall that had to be canceled last year. We're hoping we can have it this year. That's a great driver of business. So it's once we can get past the pandemic and we see what's what what has survived is when we can say, okay, what do we need to do? And it's also one of the things I always ask people when I'm out or when I used to be able to go out was, what do you want in downtown? What do you think we need downtown? And you get a variety of answers and you get a variety of people saying, you know, what do we want, what they want? And everyone's opinion is different. So I think one of the things we're going to do once we're out of this is I, you know, we had a, we, before I came here, my predecessor developed something they called vision plan 2020. Well, we're past 2020. So I think it's my responsibility to develop either vision plan 2025 or vision plan 2030. So, you know, once we're, once we can have a public meeting with people in person to talk again, I'd like to get people together and say, all right, this is what we've done so far. We had five goals we wanted to achieve, and it looks like we've gotten through all five of them. What are our next set of goals? Because the thing is, this is what I told them, I told them in my interview, and I say it to this day, I'm not here to direct you. I'm here to implement what you guys direct me to do, whether that be the board or the city or the residents. You know, I didn't come here to say, well, let me tell you how we do things downstate. That'll lead me straight back across the bridge with a giant boot print in my keister. But learning what the people want and doing my best to implement it is what my responsibility is. And once, you know, like I said, finishing up a lot of what we had been working on has been a great educational experience, but what I'm really looking forward to is developing what's next and working on that. You know, you mentioned earlier how the port closed in, in 2017 and that, you know, it, it's, you're not quite sure what the residents want, what the, you know, what the businesses, what the people of Escanaba want. And, you know, there have been many cities across the country that have been kind of in that like transition phase mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like, we don't know what's next, but we know that what we used to do isn't going to cut it anymore. And obviously when you, when you drop the, a global pandemic that shuts everything down in the middle of it, that creates, um, you know, frustrations for everybody. Um, I guess my question here is how much of what you think Escanaba will decide to do going forward is going to be based on lessons that might have been learned from other similar sized cities throughout, particularly the Midwest. Well, that's something that I hope to bring to the table is uh, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to be getting a lot more involved in some of the other development authority. Uh, some of the, we have a Michigan town town association, a Michigan economic development association. I, I know I don't know everything. That's something I think is unusual for people in politics or in uh, administration of government. I actually admit I don't know everything. So I want to learn from what other people are doing because a lot of this is going to be a trial and error because we're all going to be kind of grasping to come out of this. And no one has figured out the perfect solution. 
And also you're going to have some pushback because, you know, the other aspect of the community is it is an older community. And one of my least favorite phrases, and it always has been, is this is how we've always done it. And I'm one of those people who says, well, that's fine, but it may not work anymore. So it is going to be part of that give and take in that, you know, getting people to buy in. Because like I said, if you go in there and you tell them, well, this is how we're doing it, then you're going to have resistance. But if you, but if you say, okay, what do you want to do? And if they say something you don't like, instead of just attacking, you go, okay, okay, that, you know what, that's not a bad idea, but what if this? And I, I hate to admit this, but I stole that from Bruce Pritchard. Um, but it, it's not, it's, but it's, I think it's a, something that our politics is missing is that people don't respond well to just being told no or they're wrong or disagreement. People respond when you show some acceptance but it, it, you offer us a, a change by saying, you know, what if, or, you know what, I like that, but maybe we can make a little bit better by doing this. Then you have their buy-in because like, okay, they're taking some of what I'm saying, but maybe not, but we're two different people. So of course we're going to take it two different things. You know, one joke I always make is, you know, you get three people together in a room and say, we're going to order a pizza. You know, you're going to have disagreement on what you're going to get on it. You know, you're going to have some person who's going to want just meat. Someone just wants vegetables. And there's going to be that one weirdo who wants to have a ch- uh, uh, anchovies. So, you know, you got to have that dialogue and say, okay, I like that, but what about this? What about this? So, you know, it's a lot of that back and forth, that discussion, but it's, it's being positive in your discussion. It's being constructive in what you say and not just saying, well, that's stupid. You don't get anywhere that way. I mean, look at DC. That's why we don't get anywhere in DC because everyone just goes, runs to their, you know, the liberals go to MSNBC, there's concern, the Republicans go to Fox and yell at how the other one is stupid. Almost stole the words right out of my mouth there, um, particularly about DC. Let's talk about kind of the relationship with Lansing. Um, you know, obviously, any time when you're working on downtown development or any kind of small, you know, small town governance, there's going to be uh, disagreements with what goes on at, at the state government level, regardless of what the party, um, you know, the party balance is there. What's kind of your relationship with with state government, and do you think that? The, uh, the the administration in Lansing is responsive to the needs, not only of uh, cities in the UP, but also the smaller cities across Michigan. Well, it really does depend on what you mean by our relationship with Lansing. Like, you know, I work a lot with what's called the MEDC, which is the Michigan Economic Development Association, or Economic Development Count, uh, Commission or Council. I can't remember what the C stands for. Um, you know, I have had regular communication with them. A lot of our grants go through there. Um, unfortunately, we've had a few of some of our programs canceled because a lot of the money had to be dumped into COVID relief. Uh, they're the ones who have done some recent funding on issues that went directly to some of our business owners and didn't go to me, which again, I'm perfectly fine with right now money going to our business owners. They need a lot more than I do right now. I'm paid, I'm paid through, the t- through the taxes our authority collects. I don't need, you know, I'd rather have the business owners get money right now than me. But I have a good relationship with them. You know, they keep me well informed of things that are going on. Um, the legislature and the governor and all that. I mean, look, I could sit here and list my list of complaints, especially about how I think I think Michigan's shutdown and COVID response has been way too generic. Um, I like when I moved up here, the UP was on a different um, stage as that we were downstate. And, you know, it got, then everyone got merged back together in the same thing, you know, and yeah, if you look at, and it's also how you look at numbers, like my county had an explosion in terms of percentages, but we had like, I don't know, half a dozen cases in that, in that, you know, labels us 5% uptick, whereas in a 5% uptick anywhere else would be thousand cases because of just the population. So, and it's also, you know, when you're smaller area, you don't have it, you know. You, you you don't have as many people to try and sustain things. You know, you can you can sustain a lot easier on a take up business on you know where I used to live downstate on Hall Road, which is you know think of every single strip mall, every single restaurant chain, every single thing. It's, it's called the Golden Quarter of Macomb County because they have everything on it. Everything is there, and you have hundreds of thousands of people traveling that road every day, as opposed to up here where you don't have that. So it's a lot harder to maintain those bids. Like I have you know, a couple of restaurant owners on my board and one of them said, I can't afford to do takeout. I lose more money. Be, I lose 
less money just shutting down than I do doing takeout. So that was, that's been my, you know, and through, because I haven't been out of Lansing too long. I have a, you know, the, the state senator and the state rep know who I am. So I can always, you know, say, hey, you know, is there something more we can do? But I mean, the legislature and the governor elect in an ideological war, and I can psychoanalyze the governor why I think she does what she does. But, you know, it's her go at aloneness, I think, has been a little bit too strong. I think her responsibility, I mean, if you go look at things about how, you know, Michigan is the only one who had this, we're the only ones who don't have any contact sports still left in the entire country. We all, you know, today we opened restaurants where it hasn't been. Like, I, I drive an hour to Wisconsin. I can go sit in a crowded bar. You know, and there's not much of a difference in terms of rural Wisconsin up there and rural Michigan here. Yes, would our urban centers be different? And yes, in Lan- a lot of the restaurant problems came from one bar in the Lansing area, which had an outbreak because they had a, you know, it was a college bar, which a bunch of kids said, oh, we're abused. So we're going to ignore the orders. And then there was an outbreak, and because it's in Lansing, everyone's all, you know, oh my god, oh my god about it, so. But I, I think, you know, for the relevant agencies that I deal with, we have a decent working relationship. They understand the hardships, because it's their department, too. Economic development is their thing, too. But we also realize that a lot of the resources we had not too long ago, COVID has vacuumed everything up. So one of the things, yeah, there have been people for a long time, um, who live in the UP who have suggested that the UP separate from, from Michigan. Um, and you got a smile on your face already. So I think, you know, where this is going. You're obviously, you know, so, you know, from a different part of Michigan, you're coming into this with, with fresh eyes. Uh, I have to suspect that there are a lot of reasons why that, why the state of superior, as some have called it would be a bad idea, but I just want to see what your take is on it. Well, um, yeah, you're right. Coming from downstate, I, I, I still say, you know, I'm, I haven't been here long enough to not be a troll, a troll being a creature that lives under the bridge. Um, but the, the, uh, my honest answer to that, and I, I'm probably going to lose some bona fides up here by saying this, is that they don't, I don't think the UP has the population or population to sustain a state, especially with the size it is and the money it would require and the tax base would require. I mean, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I, I, I just, you know, we have, what is it, a third of the state's area, but about 10% or less of the population. So, you know, we, if the entire UP and the top third of Michigan is one congressional district out of our 14. That should tell you how, you know, less densely populated it is up here. So, do I think that if, you know, they left Michigan tomorrow and called themselves, I don't, I heard they don't want to do Superior because they say that's arrogant. They're thinking about maybe naming it after one of these cities. I heard Octonagon once, but I don't know if we want to do that to the rest of the country. Um, but I think, uh, I, I think that the issue would be just the, the, it's such a big state. It'd be, it'd be like Wyoming. It's such a big state with such a very undense population that, you know, trying to start from scratch, I mean, maybe in the today, well, like we're doing now with you know electronic abilities to do things, maybe they could do things easier that way. But that's always been the big issue is just like you know, it's just how big and how undensely populated the area is. But hey, stranger things have happened. You know, during the Civil War, we broke off West Virginia, and as uh, Bill Maher likes to say, I don't know why we have two Dakotas. So, you know. <laughs> good point. Um, let's shift a little bit now. We'll kind of talk about you know, politics broad, more broadly in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I come from a very similar school of thought here, very conservative Republicans who aren't necessarily um, signing up for what we've been seeing the last few years. So mm-hmm. just kind of broadly, what do you think about the current state of the Republican Party? And, um, you know, what what does the future of the GOP hold right now in your eyes? You know, this is this is I know this is both the elephant in the room and the rabbit hole to go down. When this, I have never, I never signed up to be devoted to one person, whether it be Reagan, Trump, Gingrich, anyone. In fact, I was at a county convention once and uh, the person who I had been working with was about to lose and his opponent came up to me and said, if we win, do you still want to be involved? And I said, of course I want to be involved. I'm a Republican. I'm not here for him. I'm not here for you. I'm here because I believe in things. 
And he said, okay. And I thought that meant he wanted me to, you know, stick around the committee. I didn't know that he was going to, I was the only person who stayed as his position from one administration to the other. I'm like, oh, and they think I helped. I was, I was a setup. I'm like, no, literally, I didn't even know they're going to call my name. What? I was parliamentarian at the beginning. And then I left when they lost, like, we want Scott to be our parliamentarian. I'm like, I was like, huh? Okay. I didn't even know. But, you know, you know how conspiracy theories run through politics nowadays. Um, and I also want to be careful because I have a different view on what the Republican Party is. Because Twitter is not the Republican Party. And also, and I'm going to say this in the interest of full disclosure, Ronna Romney McDaniel is a wonderful human being. When I went, th- when I lost a job, and when I went through a bit of a scandal with one of my previous positions, she was one of a handful of people who asked me how I was doing. Not what can I tell, what can she, what can I tell her, or what do I know? And I think she's in an impossible position. But I'm, I haven't talked to her in years. But I just, I, I will never not have a soft place in my heart for her because she was one of the people who actually gave a damn about me and not about what I knew when I was going through something tough. So that being. The Republican Party should be about what we believe in and not who. And I've had this problem pre-Trump. Growing up in the party, I literally was, I had to start making the joke, you know, St. Ronald, praise be upon his name. You know, the, the, we had this devotion. Now we seem to have it for Trump. And look, I come from one of the most heavily Trump places in Michigan. Macomb County is the reason he won the first time with our margin is why Trump won Michigan. And as much as I am not a Trump Republican, because I am not a populist in the way he is, on a lot of levels, I understood his appeal. I understood his appeal because he was talking to people who, rightly or wrongly, felt like the system had said, we don't care about you. And he was saying the right things. Now, I didn't believe it because I don't believe politicians when they say stuff. And also, again, I wasn't taken in by the... I mean, I saw him throw the worst working punches ever on Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. I was in the crowd. You know, I met, I actually met the man. I still have his picture in my office. And I, I didn't want to talk politics. This was before he ran. I said, I saw you at WrestleMania. He's like, oh yeah, that was fun. And also, I just wanted to be that close to the hair. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see what it was for myself. But, and also, I never took him seriously. Because I always saw this as a branding thing. I saw, this as, I saw him as a TV personality. I, didn't, I never gave him the credit to say he could organize a coup d'etat movement in this country. And, I, and I, I don't think he was anything about an organizer, but he was a goader. Especially with the way I've had in January. Where I kind of started losing it was in the run-up to the election and after the election with the whole, what you know, the media started calling the big lie. I know people who work in elections. One of my very good friends is deputy clerk for the the county that includes Grand Rapids. I've been involved in elections very intently for my entire adult life. I know there are issues. There is no prop. There is a lot of problems. There are some problems in Detroit. There are some problems with our laws that need to be fixed. Like, you know, we, if they want to do a recount and the ballot count when they count it versus what's on the piece of paper is off that you can't recount it. I think that's a problem. There are issues that can be fixed. The system can always be improved. And if this was Florida, we were talking about a couple hundred votes. I would say, yes, there's a possibility you can find that. But four years ago, the Green Party tried to find 10,000 votes to knock off Trump's margin in Michigan and couldn't find them. I knew we weren't finding 150 in Michigan. And I said, yeah, okay, we can look at issues. We can talk about the prop. Like they brought in a special advisor to Detroit. He used to be our elections officer on the state level to try and improve after the issues they had in the primary. And they did improve. They're not perfect, but they did improve. And they have a ways to go. And they admit that. I, there was, there's journalists who volunteered as election workers and went step by step about how things worked. And they said, yeah, it's inefficient. And yeah, they need to train people better. And yes, they need to pay people better so you have better people involved. But it wasn't a mass conspiracy. I have a pretty big philosophy that has served me well in politics is if you if you assume incompetence and not conspiracy you're going to be proven right nine times out of ten you know jeffrey epstein being the one time out of ten there was a conspiracy um but i'm not talking about the suicide i'm talking about the fact that he got his 
trips hidden for years of all these people in power, including princes of England. Um, so when I look at the party, I hate to agree with Democrats. I really do. I really don't like agreeing with them because I don't, because as much as I, one of the, my tenants is, I believe that Republicans and Democrats both agree on what the problem is. We just disagree on how to solve it. I I don't want to go back to the 50s. I don't want to go back to the 80s. I want to go forward. And every time I, you know, that was the thing I I asked a couple of people, what does, when, when we say make America great again, when was it great? And when did it stop being? The only answer I ever got, which was coherent, was when someone said before Obama, which again, that was just ridiculous in itself. But I don't, I believe a conservative I think it was Buckley who said that, you know, it's the conservative's job is to stand to thwart history and he'll stop or slow down. I think that's a fair thing to say, you know, especially in our country. Our current country wasn't designed for rapid change. That's why Obamacare was so controversial. That's why the, it's the conservative's job to say, we shouldn't go this way, or if we're going to go that way, we need to do it carefully. And there are some aspects of that, right? And there are some aspects where we've been proven wrong. We thought, you know, we thought that if you, I mean, look at the gay marriage thing. We thought it was going to be such a big issue, but, you know, the Supreme Court case, and it's outside of, you know, people who are very, very socially conservative, the general public is kind of like, okay, whatever. It actually solved an issue. It actually kind of settled it, unlike Roe, which we still argue about that to this day. And I don't think, even if it went the other way, we'd still argue about it. If Roe was reversed tomorrow, we'd still fight about it just as fervently. I don't think the Supreme Court can ever solve that issue. And I don't even think the people can all ever solve that issue, unfortunately. That's just going to be with us. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, that's, again, a whole other rabbit hole. I think what I said after the election is that I will not let the people who believe in QAnon, who raided the cap. Look, I worked for the U.S. House of Representatives. I was in my office. I was at my desk when Gabby Giffords was shot. And we were told, lock the doors. I have friends who work there to this day. One of my oldest friends was just made chief of staff to a, to a freshman house member. There are people I give a damn about who are in that building. I may disagree with a lot of people in that building politically, but there's still people. And we don't invade the seat of government in this country. I said this on Facebook. That was a coup d'etat by definition. When you are trying to stop a function of government by force, that is a coup d'etat. Because why? Because you believe that the election was stolen. Yes, Trump played into that. And yes, Trump with his strongman commentary fed into it. And you see it when the people said, well, Trump was telling us to do it. Trump was telling us to do it. I don't know if that's, I mean, again, you have to be pretty crazy to want to invade a capital. So I don't know how much to take their stuff at face value. But I refuse to cede my party to them. I've been involved in this party since I was in college in 2003. We're coming up on 20 years I've been involved in this. I will not cede the party to these people. And also, and I'm going to say this as disrespectfully as I can, I'm bigger than them and I'm going to outlive them. The party is going to, they, they, they are the people who are trying to hold on to something instead of because they, because they don't want to let it go. You know, it was one of the things I think you and I used to complain about when we were YRs is like, oh, you're the tomorrow of the party, the future of the party. And we were always like, no, we're the now of the party. We always say that. Well, we proved, I think, to the wires that the wires are not the today of the party, but we are definitely the people who are going to have to decide what the party is going forward. And I know myself, I'm not going to be here 20 years from now saying I want to go back to the 80s. Like people still talk about going back to the 50s and about how things, you know, about stuff like that. I just, I I am a forward looking person. I always have been, I hopefully always will be. And my thing on the Republican party is this is a low. It's going to take a lot of time to recover from it. I think unless we get our act together, we're going to get smacked around for a few years, but if that's the punishment we need to take in order to learn our lesson, I'm a big person on that. This party needs to learn a lesson at some point. And I know I've been called arrogant and Oh, you think you're the smartest person in the room, or I've been belittled by too many people to, you know, I don't really care about it, but I remember what they say because my memory. And I, when did that? When did thinking become a bad thing? When did being smart or educated become a bad thing? 
I'm not saying you people are less than. I'm just saying I think differently. I see that we need to move the party in. A, and again, I'm not talking about, about compromising conservative principles. I'm a small government conservative. Hell, part of me would be a libertarian if they were anything resembling coherent. That and I'm not, you know, I've never gotten along with Justin Amash. Um, so I refuse to cede my party. And yeah, it's, we're going to go through some pain in the next few years. I think we, I don't know how 2022 is going to shake out. We have a harder map. And when people like Rob Portman are retiring, it's going to make things harder. We nominate Jim Jordan against the moderate Dem in Ohio. We're going to lose Ohio. You know, if, you know, if that kook from Georgia, who I refuse to say her name, if that's the future of our party, then we're going to be in the weeds for a while. We're, we may go the way of the Wicks, but I, but I'm going to go down swinging for what I believe. I'm not just going to run. I'm not going to be like, these people say, oh, I'm going to run off and join the Dems or I'm going to call myself an independent. No, I'm a, I'm a conservative. I'm a conservative first and a Republican second. But I refuse to give up my party. I refuse and I will fight for it. And like I said, I'm pretty sure with my age and the age of the people who are, you know, really doing the problems, I think in the long run, I'll probably end up winning. Well, well said. I agree with everything you said, which always makes me nervous. But <laughs> you know. this is why we've been friends for <laughs> more than five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, fortunately, Jim Jordan is not running for U.S. Senate, but I'm sure Josh Mandel will be pulled out of whatever hole he's been in. Never mind. Oh, no, I'm I'm sure I'll get I'll sure I'll get the Facebook like invitation again. Oh, I'm I'm sure you will. Let's let's end this on a uh, on a less serious note. Um, we'll talk about wrestling here for a second. I know that you are not a big fan of pretty much any of the current product. Um, you know, so let's you know, let's get into the state of. Uh, the state of professional wrestling. Tell me something about professional wrestling in 2021 you actually like. Lord. It's kind of hard because I, I, I was, I've, I tried hard with the product for a long time, but when they didn't have a crowd, I couldn't deal with that. That's when I stopped because I, I just, it was so, it, it's, it was weird. It's like, you need that energy. You need that crowd energy. And when I go back and watch old clips, it's like, Wow, you see things that are just not as you know athletic or not as whatever. But God, when the crowd goes like I was, you know, again, I was in the crowd when Austin drove the Zamboni down to the ring. I still have never heard a louder thing in my life. And I've been in Ford Field and uh, the Sky Dome for WrestleMania. I was in that crowd for Hogan Rock. I went into that. I'll, I'll tell you this story. I went into WrestleMania with a sign that said, Hogan, please retire. Because I thought, dude, it's, it's, it's time. It's done. I, it, it, he's, he's past his prime. I understood this was a torch passing match. Fine. Let him have his last run and that's it. But I swear to God, when I was on that, I was fourth row. I still have the chair in my living room. When that crowd and the start of that match and that crowd did what it did, I was, a, I, I was back to being a 10-year-old Hulkamania. That crowd took me for that ride. And while the Austin thing with the Zamboni was the loudest, that is the most I have ever felt in terms of just pure, just letting that ride go, go on that ride. And my problem with it today is it's, and I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording. It's what I call the Meltzerization of pro wrestling where everyone's going for the best match, but there's not as much story. You know, everyone, you know, everyone says, oh, Hulk Hogan was a terrible worker. Yeah, but he's got more people to care than anyone ever. You know, I don't think Jim Londos was the best worker ever, but he was the highest drawing champion ever because of the story. And that's and what people you know, believed in. And listening to the podcast, you know, Conrad Thompson, you know, God bless that guy. Oh, I, I, All if, of the show if I ever together. meet Conrad Thompson, I swear to God, I will kneel before him and kiss his <laughs> ring. I love Conrad. I I swear to God, I, I'm still mad at myself that I didn't get my mortgage through him. <laughs> but one of the things that's a common thread through all of his shows that he does with with those guys is, did they draw money? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Hogan, the big money draw almost ever him, Austin, The Rock. Mm -hmm. And as much as I like, you know, I, I enjoy watching guys like Omega and I enjoy the Young Bucks a little less and some of these other guys. But yeah. where they ever draw money. Like, I am the world's biggest Jericho-holic. I love Chris Jericho. I've loved him since WCW. 
And no one was more happy than me than I went to WrestleMania. I got to, be, I got to meet him when he had the both belts. It's the reason I have this one. But he, he was never the guy, and he never drew that much money like that. He just wasn't. You know, it's, it's the critique I think Cornette likes to say about Triple H is Triple H was never the guy who was the guy the guy worked with. But, you know, say what you want about Triple H. He's now, he's the guy who's going to figure out what we're doing in the WWE for the next 30 years. That is assuming that Vince McMahon is mortal, which if you look at, I know he just lost his brother, but his mother is approach, is 100 years old. So we may be getting Vince for another 25 years, which scares me considering how <laughs> things have been going. But my my thing with the modern stuff, it's also, and I, and I don't blame WWE entirely for this, what a lot of people do about the scripting. I know that's also a network thing. USA in the modern age with how people can screw up is not just going to say, okay, you just let those guys go out and do it and say whatever they want, whatever comes to mind. You know, I was listening to um, the, I was listening to 83 weeks today at work and they did the Harlem heat episode. And they talked about how the time that Booker T Ah, accidentally said a bad word, you know, that's why you have to, at least in the beginning, you need to know where these guys are going. You need to hone those skills. And it's but, even worse now with the Fox deal because now the FCC gets involved. In, correct. In, in, in can you can you imagine if Booker T were to accidentally say that word on Fox? You know, it'd be it'd be a big it'd be the biggest network scandal since Janet Jackson. Yeah. So I understand that it's also the it's not just WWE who's requiring the scripting. It is the um, it is the networks, and I also recognize that we know more about medical problems and concussions which is why it's not as violent as it was in the attitude era but the attitude era was almost a hot shot and it's kind of hard to ever recover from that because it was so wide and it blew up so big and you can never be like that again and i like about modern wrestling i am one of these people like if done well i actually like the cinematic matches i think the john cena bray wyatt thing from wrestlemania as a mind screw was brilliant i agree as, as a mind screw was brilliant as a, as a match no it was garbage but as taking you on this psychological thing which is what that character is supposed to be it's why i wanted it's why i love bray wyatt and it's why i'm kind of like not the biggest fiend person because i loved him when he was doing the psychological stuff when he was you know i loved him as also as almost uh, Waylon mercy 2.0 well he was I, if you look- i loved that character and also because you could tell it was coming from him because he had developed enough that they let him do his own promo. So it was, it, you, he felt it, you know, the, and you know, the, like with like Roman Reigns always had great matches, but you can, I mean, come on, suffering succotash. Come on, come on. We all know that no human, be- just let him say the word ass. That's all I ask. <laughs> which they Don't do now with great frequency ass. on Friday nights. Which is, is it, I'm going to kick your butt. No adult says that to another adult. Now, yes, can you say, okay, you can't go out there and say the F word. Sure, we can avoid that. You know, I used to work for someone who uses it as a comma, but, you know, when he's on TV, he doesn't say it, no matter how mad he gets. But I lo- like I, said, I, I think the, I, I didn't see the AW1 in the stadium. I heard Cornette complain about it, but Cornette complains about everything, which is why I love listening to him. Um, I liked the Boneyard match. I hate that. I loved it. It, You know what? It was good. You know why also it was good? Because that was, when I saw that documentary when The Undertaker says, wow, this is like a movie set and I can't even get through all this in a day. I know I need to hang it up. Because I always hated that after that retirement thing with Roman, they kept bringing him back. I'm like, no, let him be the one that gets an actual ending. Yeah. Everyone else, they keep dragging out and drag. Not him. Now, yes, I have a personal bias in that the first pay-per-view I remember watching is Survivor Series 90 when he debuted. And I was there a year later when he beat Hogan for the title at JLA. And just, you know, so I my fandom has been tied to The Undertaker. So maybe I have a special, you know, whatever for him. But his is the character that needs the clothes. And I'm kind of sad that his ending had to take place in front of the Thunderdome. Which the Thunderdome, I I'm, I don't like the piped in noise, but at least you get that ambiance. Like, like I watched the Royal Rumble yesterday because I love the Royal Rumble. I always have. I love, love yeah, the countdown. Of the year. That's, no show has lost more without a live crowd than... But, you know, at least you know they piped in the countdown, which the countdown's half the fun. So at least they piped that in. Yeah. Right? 
But I watched this and I'm like, I almost don't miss the. I almost don't care that there's no fans there. That was one of the best shows I've seen without a crowd since this whole thing started. Not even close. It was phenomenal. I think what they like the Drew Goldberg thing was perfect for what Goldberg is. You know, Goldberg has never been a workhorse. He was a he was a slam. What do they call it? he was slam bang wrestling to steal a toots montism, and that's what they did. They went out, they slammed each other around, pin. It was over. Fine. The I loved both Rumbles. I mean, I would have rather seen Rhea Ripley than Bianca Belair, but I know that's that's fine. I understand that. I'm I like always... both. You know, I it's it's I, my, Rhea was my personal call just because I I thought it was important that after she didn't get her WrestleMania moment, yeah. stadium last year, that she gets it this year, and she still might. You never know. Well, plus everyone was saying oh, it was going to be Bianca. I want the surprise. I don't want my Royal Rumble to be predictable. Which, I hate it when I go in ends with Edge. That's yeah, which, not predictable. No, it wasn't predictable. But it's like I hate going into a Royal Rumble knowing who's going to win. Yeah. I hate that because that, that's the part. It's like that's why I wish it would have been Rhea Ripley. Just like, oh, good. It's not. And I have nothing against Bianca Belair except the only problem I have with her is the same problem I had with IRS. Why doesn't someone just grab that hair of hers and just whip her around with it like they didn't? Like someone should have done with that tie of IRS. Eh, every once in a while it happens. But yeah, but I'm just saying when you have something that big to grab a hold of, wouldn't you use it as a weapon? Um, like the, the last man standing match. I love that they did the handcuff spot, but found a way out of it. Yeah, no, I of agree. Course, of course they botched it because Heyman couldn't get the thing unlocked. So he had to try yeah. and crouch up to his feet while the referee stopped counting. Yeah, that was hilarious. But, but the fact that they did a spot, which it was a takeoff of, you know, when, so when Cena duct taped Batista's legs around the, around the ring post. Wow. You can't get up from that. No matter if the guy is conscious or not, that's brilliant. I loved that. And I was afraid at one point that they were going to use the old forklift spot. If you remember from the empty, it was. Yes, they are going to put the forklift down yeah. on top of I was them. afraid they were going to do that. If uh, they did that without the camera on it, it would have at least been more realistic than that, than the halftime heat episode. Because, <laughs> you know, when Nick Foley's putting that down, there's a cameraman standing there watching. That's that's realistic. But, yeah, well. Well, that's that's the thing that, you know, that I, lo- that I liked about what I've said is, like, I don't like things that take me out of it. You know, and Jim Ross said it best. And again, you know, so I'm not, so I'm not just rehashing Cornette's complaints. I'm sorry, but eight guys outside the ring all, and then they all gather together because we know someone's diving. Yeah. There yeah, are too right. many dives. There's too many dives. There's too many. And for God's sakes, how many, I mean, the guys today don't have the longevity because of this stuff. You know, for as much as you can complain about Dick the Bruiser wrestling till he was 60, it's because what he did was not so demanding that he couldn't. Same thing with Flair. What's the worst thing Flair ever did? Take, take the bump from the top rope? Pretty much. And so that was the worst bump he took. That's why he could wrestle till 56 and it was realistic. But these guys where it's like, you know, they're done. I mean, look at Paige. And she wasn't even that crazy, but just, you know, what is she, 25 and she's done. Something like that. It, you know, it's funny because I always remember we were in an NXT show once and it always sticks with me, with me and my wife. And, and we always wind up looking at each other and saying it. And there was a guy and I can remember who was fighting, but two minutes into the match, he just yells, just yells out, do some flippy shit. And that's what all the matches are mm-hmm. um, these days. And, and actually that the irony of the, of the pandemic um, it's got the irony of the pandemic, particularly for WWE guys, AEW, this was never going to really be a problem was mm-hmm. the guys are taking guys and gals are taking so much fewer bumps these days because if you're not working a WWE schedule, you're not doing house, right. you're not doing four hits a weekend for ROH or some of these indie guys. So yeah, you're, you're going to get some of these guys who are not going to fill up their bump card nearly as quickly as mm-hmm. some of the other guys, but you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, this is, you know, one of the reasons, you know, you know, this, one of the reasons why Hulk Hogan, you know, kind of had to have hip surgery was just the way he took his bump with his finish doing the leg drop. And you're doing that's, eight that's times why, a week. That, that's why he shrunk four inches. He's, I think I may actually be as tall or taller than him right now because he had to have so many back surgeries. He, he said he shrunk. I mean, he's still a huge guy. He's still six four, six five. You know, but he's not six eight anymore. Because right. yeah, he said he wish he, he even said he said he wish he would have done the lariat like he did in Japan instead of landing on his butt, you know, yeah. every day for you know twenty years. I mean, especially when, you know, doing those double shots back in the eighties where he's doing it two times a day, and you know, then you know everything else. So, 
that's the one. I mean, that's. I know that, that we they want to push the the limits of athleticism, and I understand that. And you always have to top. You always have to top. You know, it's not like you know, you know, they called Ed Strangler Lewis the Strangler because he used the headlock, and the sleeper hold. You know, you know, Buddy Rogers' big devastating hold was a really bad pile driver. You know, there's there's an evolution. But at some point, you're pushing the limits of what we're going to be able to do and be viable long term. And that's where you have to think long term in terms of you know, your career. Like, how many times have, you know, I mean, yeah, Ray Mysterio has a long career, but that man's knees have got to have been cut into shreds. And, you know, how many of them are going to have those kind of knee and, you know, joint injuries because they're doing all these big things and landing? Like, the fact that Edge and Christian were able to come back at the Royal Rumble after everything they've been through, you know, all those TLC matches and everything else. It's like, you know, how Jeff Hardy is still alive, in my opinion, is sometimes a little, you know, questionable with all the stuff he did. But, you know, maybe he's just naturally bendy like RVD. But I just, a wrestling match is not just about getting, you know, five stars from Dave Meltzer. It's about telling a story. It's about dragging me in and making me believe. And like I said, when you see the guys gathering for the dive, you're like, yeah, they're cooperate. Showing me it's cooperation, showing me that it's, you know, when you rehearse this much, it shouldn't be so obviously rehearsed. It shouldn't be part of the greatness of it, in my opinion, was that, you know, and I also it's also the production value with WWE. It's too clean sometimes. No, it is. It is. It's supposed to be a little bit dirty. It's supposed to be if it's live, it's not supposed to look live. It's not supposed to look taped. Right. You know, that's one of the things, you know, you, you and I are both, you know, we both watch football. Sometimes they, they miss the play because the, the whatever is doing is so good. The camera misses the play. That's live because they know it's live. So I don't know. But I, I, I know things evolve and I know it's not, I, again, I'm not a person who ever says it needs to go back. I would never say we, we're not going to go back to the steroid freak era of the 80s or, you know, the walking condominium era of Bundy. But, but also, I want my wrestlers to look like someone who's, who could beat me up. And look, I'm, you know, I'm six feet four and I'm not particularly athletic, but you know, when I, when I look at, you know, I think Ricochet could fly around me, but I don't know if he could beat me up. You know, Braun Strowman could beat me up. Drew McIntyre could beat me up. Roman Reigns could beat me up. Kevin Owens, maybe. Depends. I, I want to see him without a t-shirt once. Sammy Zayn starts. I think Sammy Zayn should start wearing a shirt that says Q on it. Um, Jeez. Why? He's starting to look. I know it's his character, but he's really playing into it well. It's like he should start, you know. He, he is. It's, he's it's really. Stupid. But I've always, I, you know, I like, I like some of, like I said, I like Sammy Zayn. I think he's, I always thought he was, I love Kevin Owens. I think, you know, he's just, Same. I like some of these guys, but it's also just, it's, I think it's also the problem is overexposure. Raw did not learn the Nitro lesson. I can't no. sit through three hours. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing that makes it so such a different show. It's like you know, I I put something on Twitter about this the other day, and it's like it's amazing that Raw and SmackDown are like produced by the same company. Like they're mm-hmm. so different, drastically in quality, that it's something that it's incredible. And look, I I remember the the argument that JBL had with the, you know one of their shows like, "Oh, they make this much money in terms of the revenue from that hour." It's like, "Yeah, but when your quality's going down and you're losing audience, eventually that's going to catch up." I mean, Nitro had to cut from 3 to 2 eventually, and that was one of the things right before the end. Now, do I think WWE is going to go out of business with WCW? No, because they don't have a corporate structure that's actually actively against them like WCW was. But there is a trade-off in terms of quantity versus quality. And I think two hours, look, I think, I think two hours is the right time. I think three is too much. I think one is too little. That's just where I am on it. It's, and I thought that ever since they expanded raw to two hours, I think I thought one hour of raw wasn't enough. I thought two, two hours was the best raw ever. The occasional three hour special. Fine. The fact that, you know, the one three-hour special happened to tie up with a certain person's death who shall not be named ever again was unfortunate. Um, but, you know, watch the, watch the, you know, if you, you, I don't know if you watch some of these, watch the kayfabe commentaries uh, guest booker with Kevin Nash talking about trying to book three hours and two then three hours and two and how just impossible it is. You know, especially when, you know, 
luckily both of us want SmackDown alive, so I don't have to deal with oh, one's taped, but then something happens that change the tape, you know, or you know, like when they used to tape how many months worth of shows at, M- at Disney MGM, and it's like oh, someone got injured, but they're going to on TV on on uh, worldwide for another month because they have all these tapes in the can, or, the- or you know, we have to we have to. Do our title changes? Yeah, the Freebirds won the tag team title six days after they lost them, or something. Like yes, something like, like that. Or that was actually the reason why they finally broke the NWA away because they wanted to put the belt on Rick Rude. And the NWA said, "Well, no." Well, then they said, "All right, fine." And then what has? And then the NWA has basically been nothing until they. I actually like their shows, uh, their, their studio show, but then the whole Cornette controversy. I'm like, was, oh god! It, was, it wasn't just Cornette. It was you had Cornette, and then you had. Uh, what was it dave lagana got caught up and stuff and yeah it was, just, it was just a massive massive it was snake bit i'm just i'm just waiting for, i'm just waiting you know then there's impact which is the little engine that could i thought <laughs> i thought by now i'd have my rise and fall of tna wwe dvd and i still i don't yet, have it. they've actually lasted longer than wcw did yeah they lasted longer than w well yeah, WCW as an as a Turner company. I mean, JCP, as you know, goes back to the '40s. But right. I mean, they outlasted. They've outlasted pretty much everybody who's tried to. You know, ride. that's what's going to be interesting about AEW. Is you know, AEW. You know, one of the one of the, one of Corneyisms is the people who know don't have the money. The people who have the money don't know how. It's going to be interesting to see if Tony Khan's one of those ones who has the money and don't know how because. You know, I have I have a lot of faith in Cody because of his bloodline and learning from his father. You know, I'm not the biggest Omega or Young Bucks person because I just think I think it was a T-shirt that was popular. I don't I don't know. I, you know, you can watch other people who have Bullet Club T-shirts. How many of them actually know who the Young Bucks are? I just like the thing that looks like Punisher. Um, so I don't know. I just I think also they don't have anyone in. AEW that's ever drawn on the level they need to draw to be serious competitors so will they be able to do that because you know cody was i mean uh jericho yeah he was in the big leagues he was always a you know main event player but he was never the big draw john moxley he was a decent draw as gene ambrose but it's like getting half a person because of the trademark issue and having to lose the name right and cody is generational but is he his dad and his dad, for as much as we all love Dusty Rhodes, Dusty had some stinkers. There's a reason why there's a phrase called the Dusty Finish. <laughs> well, the Dusty Finish has been done for ages, but because he did it too much. Exactly. And they got Sting now, but, you know, I mean, he's, yeah, but what he's, can- not, he's not working on top. Well, it's also, you know, that, that also to me is you don't, that was the thing with TNA. You don't want to just be the outcast brigade. You know, like what happened to Brody Lee is tragic. Don't get me wrong, but you know, should he have ended up in AEW? Should everyone who, I mean, if you know, I read the other day that Cesaro's contract is up after WrestleMania, does he go to AEW? Does it have that TNA problem where everyone who can't make it in WWE says, okay, I'll go here because all, if only creative would listen to me, or if only they let me off my leash or all what, I mean, look at, um, look at Rusev. He went from being a killer to a guy who wore, who is a video game player. And maybe it's because I'm not a gamer, but, I, I don't want my wrestlers playing video games in the locker room. I want them smoking cigars and playing cards or something, <laughs> something a little bit more tough, I guess. If I want to believe yeah. these guys are fight for a living and are trying to make me believe that it's F, what is it? Sports-based presentation. I think is what I was told that AEW is going to be. Well, then you got to give me, I don't think the guys in the NFL sit in the locker room playing video games before, before a game and after a game. Maybe. I, well, 2021 you never know well maybe the lions but the lions you know i don't know <laughs> what they do well this is a good time to bring the uh bring this ship into port if folks want to reach out to you want to know more about the escanaba downtown development authority how can they do it well the escanaba dda we're on facebook at facebook.com slash escanaba dot dda we're online at escanaba dda.com if you don't know how to spell escanaba now i'm gonna have to think e-s-c-a-n-a-b-a is how you spell escanaba it's it's apparently a derivative of an old indian word i cannot remember what it think what it means right now i'm sure i'll get scolded for that um so i administer those so if you reach out there you'll more than likely get me or you know so uh, if you want to learn more about escanaba please come up and visit we have great you know, great activities up here you know if you like fishing we are the walleye capital up here in little bay to we have great things to do i know uh 
you you uh you'd enjoy the beer up here we have a couple of craft breweries in fact uh the upper hand upper hand brewery is a mile from my house up here right by the airport so they make some great local beer up here we have a wine we actually have a winery down uh this down my main street down my uh downtown which uh sells some something called youper juice which they sold out of so i haven't been able to try it yet but uh we have a lot of you know it's a it's like I said, it's a great place to visit. I did. I know I always want to drag you out, out to Michigan or up to the up to the up to Michigan once or twice, and I don't think we ever made we made it happen once. But I I need to, I, I said we want we need to drag you to Mackinac Island one of these days. I say I've I've owed you a trip to Mackinac Island for probably longer than either one of us would want to admit. So yeah, which you know I, I did want to drag you up for the Republican confab they have every two years, but now it's like I don't know, I don't know if you'd be you'd be happy there but well you know you know me i i i'll start a fire in any room so well don't hey be careful we actually did have a fist fight at uh at uh, mackin island convention ironically by i don't know if you heard about the john weaver story it was actually his partner at the time that got in the fist fight now john weaver's had, has other problems and that's a good place to yes stop it right yes. there scott Sazak, thanks for joining us on this week's show man Thank you. And Brian, it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. And I wish you the best of luck with this and everything else. You've always been a very good friend to me. And I uh, I appreciate everything. And I appreciate everything. Appreciate it. Take care, man. You too. This has been the Duckpin Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and download.